This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is automatic, systematic, hydromatic. Not really, but is electrifying, Doc. This is Motley Fool Money. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me as always, Dr. Nirban Mahanti. How are you, buddy? Good day, Captain. How are you? Do you like my grease open? I like your uh, no oil open. Listeners can imagine us with uh, leather jackets, John Travolta hair. I don't have hair. I th- yeah, this is theatre of the mind, mate. Theatre of the mind. <laughs> I have hair right now. I'm in a leather jacket. I'm on top of an old car. Olivia Newton-John off in the distance. That's how some relevance to what we're talking about. There were no Teslas in Greece. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> we are going to talk about Tesla's electric results. So did they? Yeah. Good, huh? Very electric. We- We'll talk about Amazon's sales soar but shares sink, because I'm all about alliteration. Maya misleads, but no one cared. And, mate, got to get on Team Optimism. Property's back. It's happening. It's like a dead cat bounce. <laughs> and we'll dip into the full mailbag. Let's get on with it. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, Tesla, your favourite, the the Church of Elon, the company that is revolutionising the way we travel, at least in theory, and hopefully, shares were up, dot one, carry the 17% overnight. So we're recording this on Friday morning. Now, you had some sense of that because in the US they have aftermarket trading and we knew that yesterday morning that shares were likely to be up a little bit or up a lot. 17%. You're a Tesla shareholder. Mm-hmm. I imagine you're feeling pretty good, but spare us the, spare us the, well, take a victory lap if you want to, but more importantly, tell us what is going on with Tesla. Has it finally turned the corner? Well, you know, Tesla never really needed to turn the corner, you know, because Teslas basically go straight and they go fast. <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, they don't turn corners. Um, well, they do. But, you know, and, and they turn, well, they turn corners automatically, right? Uh, it's got autopilot. Um, That's all right. So, uh, I mean, you know, this some of this results should have been expected because... Mm. Um, Tesla every quarter releases its quarterly delivery numbers, right? And they yes. delivered, uh, they d- delivered in production numbers and delivered like over like you know ninety seven thousand cars in a quarter. In a quarter. So uh, I mean, basically, what's happening is it's pretty simple. I mean, um, more cars are being delivered of the same fixed cost base right. in uh, largely fixed cost base. I mean, there's you know there's always variable cost for producing the car and things like yep. that. You yep. know, you, there's batteries that go into the car, but this factory. There's stuff in the factory. There's a factory line. You create right, more right. efficiency. They're it's basically, not quite software, but there is scale benefits when you get up these sort of volumes, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a this is a big fixed cost business, right? So, I mean, the, the, on the flip side is that if you don't sell enough, then you very quickly, <laughs> you know, go on the reverse, right? That's true. Um, did you see that? I said reverse and drive. Oh, hey, forward, hey, hey. Mate, yeah. I do the puns around here. Thanks very much. <laughs> so, so you know, the, the more cars, uh, better mix uh, resulted in more gross profit margins. Uh, the actually delivered a profit the third time in Tesla's history. Uh, a one-off of, profit or a beginning of the, a better trend profit? Well, like, I mean, you know, here's what the bears will say, right? So, and, and Tesla is the most shorted stock in U.S. history. 
In right. history? In US history. I didn't I know that. Yeah. Okay. So, so there are a lot of people... So most shorted in terms of the proportion of shares that are short sold, right? Is that, yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. So more short in the proportion of shares. And I mean, probably very high if you consider the fact that a lot of insiders own, you know, it's a significant <laughs> chunk of the company. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so the bears have been betting that, uh, you know, there's competition around the corner. There's mm-hmm. going to come. People are not going to buy Tesla cars. The margins are going to drop. And instead, what has happened, new margins drop every time they release a new product because, mm-hmm. you know, there's a there's a ramp up cost involved. But once you get to scale, the margins start, you know, shining through. That's number right, one. Right. Number two is that, you know, Tesla is starting, to, you know, among car manufacturers, there are not many car manufacturers who have got a divert, deferred revenue line, right? Tesla's got a deferred revenue line, which is like some, something like $500 million sitting there okay. to be recognized. And that's for the f- uh, full self-driving suite. And, and you know, they re- released this thing called, um, you know, Advanced Someone in the U.S., which basically... Mm-hmm. Basically results in the car actually driving to you in a parking lot without a driver. <laughs> so it's the first That's unsupervised driving. So, so for those those who are a certain age, you can pretty much think the Night Industries 2000 kit itself of David Hasselhoff fame. You know, David Hasselhoff says, come on, kit, come over here. And kit drives over. You're telling me the future is finally here. Finally, I can drive kit. Yeah, <laughs> the future is finally here. Uh, <laughs> and the future is now. Oh, in, man, in, 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 talk like kit. I reckon that'd get people across the line. Tesla should license the Knight Rider voice yeah. and get it to talk to you like the kit does. That I, I would actually buy one at that point, I think. If it literally talked to me, I'd be there. I don't know. Like, I mean, you know, the Tesla car farts. I did show you. It, it <laughs> farts, did. right? Uh, so if, if you can't buy a car that farts, then I think, you know, you're missing a trick here. Uh, but but anyways. I, mean, my I want po- people in their heads to imagine the Knight Rider theme. I can hear it in my head right now. And as you think about the Tesla coming to you, you press the auto summon button. What do you have to do to make it turn up? And the Knight Rider theme is going in the background. That's that's exactly what you want, right? Yeah. So, I mean, and then Tesla, I think, <laughs> just going back to Tesla. So, so, you know, so the cash balance went up because they had free cash flow, you know. So now over a trailing 12-month period, they've got, what, $900 million plus, like a billion dollars mm-hmm. plus of free cash flow that has been generated. Margins are going up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Model Y, which is the crossover, which is a really popular um, vehicle type in, in some parts of the world. So crossover is a bit of a kind of a Yankee term. We're, we're talking kind of like soft SUV, soft road. Yeah, like thing, it's, it's not like, I mean, crossover is a better term than an SUV. So an SUV is a bigger vehicle, right? right? And a crossover is somewhere between, I guess, an SUV and a car. Okay, so like a kind of bulky station wagon thing? It's, yeah, a little bit like a station wagon. Okay. I mean, you know, and that, that value, I'm just going to call it, a, I mean, I call it a small SUV, basically. Right, right. Which is probably the right term. Well, that's my thing, though, exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, it hasn't got off-road cap, so maybe off-road was a bad word, but yeah, small SUV, right? I, I mean, neither the big SUV that they've got have off-road capabilities, right? Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. the thing. Um, you know, think of it like a Mazda CX-5 type of car. Yeah, I mean, right, that, nice. So that, that's coming, and that's going to come, ahead, that's apparently coming ahead of schedule mm-hmm. now, um, you know, because people have started spotting these trial version cars on the road. Mm. Um, the China model three is going to come which is going to help in the china in terms of you know maintain uh, margins right so i think a lot of things are happening and then i think what people did not anticipate is how popular model three has been mm, mm. Um, model three has been really popular they've held um you know it has cannibalized some of their model s sales which is mm. the bigger bigger sedan but okay. um in a way tesla has achieved exactly what they wanted to achieve which is produce a car which is you know uh, an expensive car then produce a slightly less expensive car then produce <laughs> a slightly less expensive car which has more volume and yeah there's a lot of things you know happening in the right direction um looking really good and maybe you know i think it, those bears who are i think counting on uh, <laughs> um the company going bankrupt i think they're going to have uh, you know as i said they're going to have short pants Short shorts. They're going to not probably have their shorts. They're going to lose their short. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, I think anyone who is on short Tesla on valuation grounds, I think, is in deep cack. 
Okay, so valuation seems to be kind of addressed. Some of the shorts are still not entirely sure Tesla has an ongoing business that stays debt or gets out of debt, stays profitable. Are you kind of prepared to call that effectively a failed short permanently now? Is there still risk of that? How you know? I know you're a Tesla fan, but for the sake of some degree of balance, is there any is there any kind of chance, probability, possibility of the of the bears being proven right just by circumstance, or is this literally? Kind of in your mind, the end of the, the short case. There's simply nothing left there. Well, well, you know, there's always so there's a probability of always something happening. But right, anybody right. who I think understands a bit of technology, and you know, I think the I think the biggest problem with a lot of people who are shorting it is that I think they do not understand technology and how technology evolves. I think that's their right. biggest drawback. Right. Um. But yeah, yeah, something like a recession could have an impact. Like a worldwide global recession could have, you know, could be could be problematic for Tesla. But okay. this is, in my opinion. Probably the single, uh, the, probably one of the few companies on the planet today that has optionality like no other, right? So whether it is full self-driving, right? Now, Elon has a word I'm called... I'm going to call that gently hyperbole, but I'll let you finish. It's not hyperbole. So, uh, <laughs> uh, it's not hyperbole because, the, you know, when, when Elon Musk would say that, you know, the game set match mm. has happened for self-driving... Right. I cannot in any other imagine how another car company would get close to Tesla mm. in terms of actually getting full self-driving. So they would probably be the oh, ones sure. to... The but ones optionality, to get- though, suggests more than... Like, it's just different business lines or different opportunities, right? Like an Apple or an Amazon or a, a Google or a somebody else that has irons in many, many different fires, I would have thought that was optionality rather than... I, I, I agree with you, it's probably got a largely unassailable lead in self-driving, I, I didn't necessarily think that was optionality. Yeah, so it's optionality that. in the sense that it has got leads in those markets that actually really matter. Right, right? okay. Right, okay. so, you, you know, okay. uh, Google yep. has got leads in, matter, in markets that probably do not matter. That's what right. happens to companies which become big and, and then, you know, forget about making these big bets. Right, okay. So I think this is, so Tesla is a company that's got a, uh, that has an opportunity in, um, and a big lead in self-driving. It's got mm-hmm. a big lead in uh, energy storage. Right. It's got a big lead in uh, renewable energy generation mm. and a big lead in EVs. Okay, mate, where the hell is my power wall three? Elon, like I get, sure, make the cars, whatever. I've got a Powerwall one at home, and I paid a pretty penny for it. It was probably a bit of a silly purchase. I'm doing something for the environment. I'm saving a little bit of cash. I'm not entirely sure it's going to pay me back. The Powerwall two wasn't quite enough for leap. I want my bloody Powerwall three. Where is it? Yeah, it's probably going to come maybe late, later, you know, in the next half. So what they basically said okay. is that energy side of the business was starved because they don't have enough cells, mm. right? So they're and basically putting all the available batteries yeah, in every, cars. Yeah, everything that they had was going to uh, make cars. Okay. That is slowly now starting to change. And, and, you know, the solar, for example, had a big growth this year, this quarter. Okay. And they're saying energy is also going to have a big growth now, um, now that they've stabilized. So, and I think there's probably going to be a battery factory in China, which is going to help. That's cool. And speaking of scale, I mean, that's the sort of thing that if they can get these things i mean it's a nice problem to have at some level when you can't meet demand the problem with not meeting demand of course is you don't necessarily get to benefit from the scale you can otherwise deliver so at some point if they can build capacity at the same time as building demand that's that's kind of the holy grail right it sounds like they're kind of doing that yeah i think so i think that there's a lot of execution good execution happening um so i can tell elon you said the power wall through be here next year well, maybe, maybe you know, like I mean, I mean, you know, they're, they're going to prioritize some things. I, I think more than the power wall. I think power wall to me is not that interesting. Depends what you want um, to save money on power. Uh, well, no, <laughs> power wall is not interesting to me. What's very interesting is grid scale storage. Yeah, right. That's really interesting. And then you know, power Do you mean wall, technically interesting or interesting from a kind of company thesis. It, it's it's interesting from opportunity. It's a bigger market than yeah. the car market itself. 
right? That's pretty and it's, cool. It's, it, and it's a market that's waiting to be disrupted in big ways. So, so I, I think, and I've always said this, that, you know, people are looking at the wrong thing. Mm. Um, you know, what, what this company is doing basically is building battery technology. Mm. And that technology is going to be used in many different ways. Well, to be fair, you've always said this is not so much a car company, but, a, but an energy company, right? That's, yeah. that's been your line for, for yeah, quite for, a while. Yeah, for a long, long time. Yeah. Right. And this was reta- actually mentioned, this was noted uh, in this call by Elon Musk saying that, you know, look, uh, people don't appreciate this, but, you know, we think that the energy market is actually bigger than the car market. Right. Right. And are they, is there enough, does Tesla have, an, have the same sort of lead in energy? Like, is it, is it, I mean, cars to some degree, like they're pretty, um, what's the word? They're differentiated, right? You can, you can make a car very, very different. In a, you know, cars are kind of commodities, but you can create brands, you can create driving experience, you can create cars that fart. <laughs> to, your point, to your point, you you, you, know, you can turn them into things that are differentiated by definition, right? At some point, I would speculate with my lack of knowledge that energy storage, while the tech is kind of different, you're kind of not really selling on features. You're not selling on the same sort of features. You haven't got the same brand benefit you've got with a car where you can say, but look, it's sleek. It looks cool. It comes to you when you call it. Like the, mm-hmm. the stuff you add on a consumer level, if you're doing grid storage, I kind of I kind of don't imagine it's – you can't make it sexy in the same way, right? It's kind of like, okay, how much per kilowatt hour type stuff. Does Tesla have the same differentiation in energy or is that a market where kind of, you know, a battery is a battery, a battery, to some degree it doesn't have the same degree of leadership? So, so energy is not like I mean, energy is not an area that you know it's not really computing science or a, you know software science that you know that I know much about. I know a little okay. bit of energy because I did some work on uh, a grid scale storage with a bunch of people and a bunch of companies. You know, so what I know, what am I? No, we don't do expertise in this podcast. I just talk rubbish. I, you know, I don't appreciate uh, being shown up. Thank you. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I used to have some expertise. Maybe, maybe that, that's no, better. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You make uh, me look good, so, so I appreciate it. So, um, my understanding would be that. Uh, there are, you know, like there'll be things like around energy density. There'll be things around how quickly you can, st- uh, you know, charge up, how quickly you can discharge, how you can maintain um, okay. batteries level cool, right? I mean, I mean, okay. I, I mean and that's me, proprietary tech? There's a lot of proprietary tech there. Like, I, I mean, to give an example, one of the things that they mentioned in the call is um, they did a software change and increasing, the, and they're able to increase the range of existing fleet without changing the battery by up to 10%. <laughs> Right. It's very cool. So that's very cool. Literally, no, no. So, so there's a battery in a car and it drives out of the factory doing X. Yeah. And then because they've literally found a different way to tell the car and battery how to interact, they can now get 10% more range yeah. out of it. So, so, so you buy today, any car that you buy basically <laughs> is a depreciating asset or in, uh, it's basically getting worse over time. Yeah. You buy a Tesla, it basically gets better over time. That is very cool. That, so, so, I mean, you know. How cool, uh, imagine, like, imagine a traditional car, you drive it off the lot, it says you get 10, 10 litres per 100 k's, and all of a sudden they tell you, you know, six months later, actually, no, now it's nine litres per 100 k's. Yeah. Like it just literally with nothing else, no, you, don't, you don't bring it into the service centre, you don't replace the engine, you don't yeah. have to upgrade the parts. They literally just say, guess what? You're going to use less fuel in the future. Yeah, so like I mean, so I think that 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 sort of idea and that mm. technology is applicable at the grid scale as well. The I mean, the right. other fact is that if you are the largest EV maker in the world, mm. and you um, you know are the leader in battery tech, mm. then you know those scale benefits are going to also flow through to um, energy level storage as well, right? Um, I mean, I mean, okay. there are there, and and I'm not expecting any one company to win big. Like mm-hmm. I mean, like you know, it's not a winners take all type of market, but the market yeah. itself is so huge um, <laughs> that you know there might be like three or four, win, you know, you know, um, key participants at that mm-hmm. scale, right? And and if you can just partake in that market, that's that's enough to actually, you know, it's it's like you know, it's like. Um, 
the you know the online e-commerce market like it's mm, humongous mm. market so you can have hundreds of participants and each can have their own uh, share mate you have taken me to a wonderful seg let's move on to e-commerce real money advice from real people not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple m Tell you what, you're doing my job for me, mate. I'm going to be redundant very, very soon. This will be the Doc and Doc podcast in a couple of years. Um, mate, speaking of e-commerce and speaking of global dominance, Amazon, the big, big, big e-commerce behemoth, um, multiples bigger than anyone else even, even close to that space. Well, there's a couple of would-be competitors out of China and out of South America. Uh, Amazon was out overnight again, so Tesla out the night before. Amazon out overnight. As we sat down to record this podcast, the news came out. Now, here's a funny one. Amazon's sales are up 24% year on year, right? That is that is huge. But then if you actually put that in dollars, not only was it up 24%, because it's already so big, Amazon did $16 billion more sales this year than last year in the, in the most completed quarter. I still can't get my head quite around that scale and, and the sheer dollar value of the growth. It's Amazon Web Services business, so the kind of cloud computing, I'm going to call it that. We won't get into the details unless you particularly want to. Um, it's cloud computing business, Amazon Web Services, AWS, delivered 9% growth in profits. Shares were down after hours by, when I last saw it, 7% after being up about 1% during the day. So net, net 6% change in the last 24 hours. What can the market not like about sales up 24% and profits from AWS up 9 yeah, so I think like the top line numbers are good. Here's, I think this is, a, you know, you and I were having this chat and I, I mean, you know, somewhat jokingly, I said I'm going to sell Amazon at some point. <laughs> and we both um, own Amazon. You own Tesla. I'm just going to quickly get those yes, disclosed out yeah. of the way. And I, I uh, yeah, and I, I own Amazon as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, here's my, my only issue now with Amazon is mm. that um, you, you're, if you're a company with of a trillion dollar market cap, right? Mm-hmm. I expect that you're going to generate a lot of cash, a lot of actual profits mm-hmm. that I guess you could I could buy back shares or give me a dividend or something, right? <laughs> what I think happened this quarter and what they're actually forecasting for the quarter ahead mm. is it looks like, you know, Amazon is going back into like this investment more and, you know, basically, prof, you know, profits are not uh, increasing mm. at that pace. Mm. And, um, you know, the, it, on a year over year basis, I thought it's like for next quarter, they're basically projecting a decline. Mm. Um to, to me, the issue here is is simple. Uh, the issue here is that in in a way, their um, their competitive advantage is basically scale, mm. right? Uh, but in a way, online retail is now old hack. Like I mean, you know, everybody's doing online retail. Mm. Like you know, any company you pick fr- from Premier Investments to Kogan, uh, they're all doing online retail, right? Yeah. So, um, in that case, I would uh, assume that you've got plenty scale. Mm. Do you really need to spend up that much? I mean, I mean, there's no. I don't think there's a way. You know, if if this is not a winners take all market in, anymore in that sense, mm, right? Mm. Uh, lots of competitors have come, um, and uh, you know, Walmart is competing and growing its um, its online sales mm. rapidly. Mm. So. I'm just worried that the margins are too low, mm. and uh, if you don't generate enough cash over time, then you know is is the valuation. There's a question. There's a valuation right, question right, right. that I think is rightly to be asked. Um, Amazon Web Services, I worry less because there's, there are effectively basically two front players like mm. Amazon and Microsoft, and and Google is sort of like you know a number two or you can call it number three, but just it's basically third, yeah. Yeah. It, it's like the the third leg of the stool, mm-hmm. um, which is probably still three. 
you know, worthwhile, large, profitable businesses, but IBM and Amazon clearly the two leaders in the space. Microsoft and Amazon, sorry. Yeah, they're, like, they're, they're, the, they're, the, they're the two, and then, you know, you have yep. a bunch of others, like, you know, IBM, IBM and so on and yep. so forth yep. as, as number three, in the, and that it, it is a second-tier level kind of thing. So, I don't know. I, I think that business is good, but, I, mm-hmm. you know, I really worry about this aspect. Like, um, it is not, at this scale, it's not a cash-generative behemoth like, say, Microsoft is mm-hmm. or an Apple is, mm-hmm. right? And, if it's not going to generate cash now, mm. <laughs> maybe it will never generate cash. Maybe this will be the biggest story <laughs> stock of all time. That you know, ultimately, retail is retail is retail, right? Well, this is and this is kind of. I think this is exactly the question that many investors ask when it comes to growth companies, because you know we talk about Tesla and Amazon. In one universe, these are reverse companies. In another universe, they both go broke. In another universe, they're the two largest companies in the world, and there's lots in between. To some degree. Investors in unprofitable businesses are saying, can I see a future where this company makes enough money to justify the share price? It looks like at this stage, Tesla's kind of passed some sort of inflection point. Amazon arguably not quite there yet. You can see how it might, but also, as you say, there's definite reasons to be cautious and say, well, there's also reasons why it may not. And you've kind of got to believe to some degree that the the, the structural kind of position of the business, the industry it's in and the management team can execute to a scale, size and market dominance that lets it turn that growth and, and kind of customer interest and attention and brand value and all that kind of stuff into ongoing profits. Yeah, that, that's right. Like, you know, operating, operating income, for example, decreased to $3.2 billion this, you know, this, this third quarter. And I, I think, to me, this is a hard one. And I mean, um, Amazon has had many periods of, uh, you know, reinvestment in the business, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. see, that's the other thing, right? This is not an asset light business in any shape or form, mm-hmm. right? So you need to remember that. We, are we, you know, we, are we thinking of this business as like, you know, a software business that is like very asset light? This is not an asset light business. This is not really Microsoft in mm-hmm. any way, mm-hmm. right? Um, so are we, are we assigning Microsoft-like valuations <laughs> to something that's somewhere between Microsoft and a, and a Walmart, yeah. <laughs> right? So, so those are the things, you know, those you know, I, I genuinely feel at this point that uh, maybe, you know, Amazon is like now the maybe somewhat overrated in that sense. You know, like, you know, for a long time, there was this thing that, you know, the horizon growth, growth is going to happen and, you know, huge and it has become huge in terms <laughs> of that. Right. But the ability to translate that mm. to actual dollars mm, mm. in profit is the question mark. I think that's fair. I, for, what, for what it's worth, I, I remain very confident, not not. Not too much confidence, not kind of, you know, sell the house confidence. Um, I said to you this morning, I was not actually, I was partly just even partly not. I may well buy some more Amazon shares when trading rules allow. And, and at the very earliest, now we've produced this podcast, it won't be till Wednesday. Uh, we have to wait two days after mentioning any company to trade in the shares. Um, so just that's our trading rules. I may well, I may not, but I may well buy some more Amazon. I, I, I think the long-term story is still very, very, very attractive. It doesn't take many more years of 24% top-line growth to deliver. I mean, the P is now 90, which is pretty high, um, but it doesn't take too many more years of 25% compound growth to allow a company to make more money and justify that sort of PE, in my mind. Now, plenty of risks, if, but if, I'm, I'm a fan. A P of 100 mm-hmm. for a company of a trillion dollars, nearly a trillion dollars, no longer mm-hmm. a trillion dollar. You're, you're losing the trillion dollar bet handily right now. Uh, I just mentioned people, we have had this bet. and you know, I don't do that. You're going to look silly. You're going to look silly. But you, right now, I'm winning. I'm, I'm oh, well you are ahead. now, sure, yeah. but I, you, know, you don't want to declare victory too early, mate. That just hurts That's more when you lose. It's just we just closed. The bet is done. Right, it's so over. Tell, tell our listeners what the bet is. Oh, the bet is uh, on how many years? I forgot even now. Uh, but in some number of years, which company is going to have more than a trillion dollar market cap? I can't remember. I can't. Wait, our basic, our basic argument is Amazon versus Apple, and which which company is going to be bigger? Wins. That's like Amazon's easy. Gonna be bigger. You can't. You grow up twenty four percent. You're going to easy. Easy. You, you need to generate cash. Buy Amazon. Nobody generates cash like Apple. Buy Amazon. 
All right. Have <laughs> we done enough? By Apple. Let's move on. Value stocks. Market. Stock market. Index. Share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Now, Phil, thank you as always for listening to our podcast. I have some pretty cool feedback. Pretty cool mailbag. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tease it. We're not going to do mailbag just yet, Doc, but I'm just going to tease this one because we had a couple of notes from a couple of listeners who have a couple of sidekicks. So if that sounds like it might be you, keep listening. If it's not, I promise you, you will love hearing what I have to add when we open up our mailbag in a little bit. So just a bit of a tease. Don't don't turn off just yet. Make sure you keep listening. I'm not, I promise it's not clickbait. There is genuine, good quality content coming. You'll be pretty glad you kept listening, I think. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, mate. Back to Australia. We've done Amazon. We've done Tesla. I'm not sure if this is the third horseman of the apocalypse or the exception that proves the rule or there's something here because we're going from two of the most innovative, well-run, you know, market kind of thumping, changing, uh, innovative businesses of our lifetimes. And then we're going to talk about Maya. (laughs) That's a really weird combination, you know. Like, uh, uh, here's the thing: if Meyer executives are listening to the show, yeah, they should be really glad. Like, we're bunched Meyer <laughs> with Tesla the halo effect, and and just think about the valuation. Think about hundred PE. Well, unless I mean, does Meyer have a? PE? <laughs> it's also one of those things, though, right? Like, some there's a halo effect sometimes, or sometimes we're going to compare and contrast. And if you if you're in that compare and contrast kind of headspace, you really don't want to be. If you're my, you don't want to be you don't want to be talked about at the same time as Amazon or Tesla and then compared, right? I, I don't know about comparing, but contrasting maybe. <laughs> All right. So we had it. This was a, this was a fascinating story during the week, man, and, and we include it for some part of kind of you know understanding the market, understanding what goes on, and frankly, kind of a little bit of humour. Maya was taken to court by its shareholders, and the shareholders alleged in a class action lawsuit that Maya misled the market. In other words, Maya had a profit forecast. It subsequently, a couple of months later, downgraded that profit forecast. And the Maya shareholders alleged that Maya should have known and therefore should have communicated more, more quickly that there was a profit downgrade in the ranks. So effectively, imagine you're running a retail business. You said, look, I think we're going to do X. And then all of a sudden, a couple of weeks later, you go, oh, that's not happening. A couple of weeks later, you go, oh, that's not happening. Things are getting worse. Things are getting worse. As soon as you're reasonably able to tell to know that it's going to be worse than what you previously guided for, you're obliged under the Australian rules to go and tell the market, hey, we said it was going to be 100, now it's going to be 90. Really sorry about that. And the allegation, and frankly, the court found in favor of the shareholders was that they knew the downgrade was coming and didn't tell the market quickly enough. And that's kind of a, it's a big deal for a whole lot of reasons, right? So this is a, a relatively landmark case from that perspective. It's the first time I think that a, a class action like this has been won by shareholders in a, in, in a continuous disclosure world. And basically, I reminded the CEOs that you have to tell the market if your forecasts have changed, if you know you're not going to meet previous guidance. You must update the market. The funny, the funny thing about it was that the, the court then said, well, yeah, but there was no damage done because no one believed Meyer anyway, <laughs> which, I, which I think is kind of, I don't even know it's what to make of It's a very prescient observation. Well, that's the thing, right? So basically the, I, the, I, the, the, court saying, the court saying, yeah, the market knew you guys weren't really going to do this. So you can't, there was no damage done because no one believed it. If, you, if they believed the 100 there would have been problems, but uh, we thought it was going to be 90 anyway, and we thought you were always not exactly not exactly not telling the truth. <laughs> but, you know, you kind of went exactly, you know, on the level, and the market kind of saw through that and, and kind of didn't price in your guidance. So 
if that was true, there can be no damage done because there's no money lost as a result of that guidance, which is kind of weird, right? So on one level, they're upholding the requirement for continuous disclosure, but also kind of adding some sort of materiality component where they say, but there has to be some evidence of loss. And there simply wasn't in this case because you guys aren't running such a good business that the market expected you could really deliver on what you promised. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. I actually really love it. I, I mean, here's the thing, right? You you believe guidance of some companies, and some companies' guidance, you just look at it and say, <laughs> right? And actually, you know, this this latter half or group of companies, they should actually not be releasing any form of guidance because they're probably oh, terrible at guidance, right? Can I can I can I climb up on the the medium sized horse for a second? I reckon 95% of companies in the ASX shouldn't be providing guidance because at best, you can't know with any certainty 12 months out how a market's going to operate. And at best, at best you deliver guidance. If you're a toll road, okay, you can roughly you can roughly forecast how many cars are going to use your roads and frankly, anyone else can as well. If you're a company that relies on the vagaries of the market and competition and economic growth and pricing and exchange rates and everything else, you can't possibly know. And so all it does is it creates these perverse incentives where management put an arbitrary target out there and then twist the business in knots to deliver something they didn't really have any business forecasting in the first place. I, if it was me, I would literally, I don't know if I'd ban guidance. I got in trouble this week on Twitter for saying I'd ban something else. So maybe ban is too strong, strong a term. Just, just, just don't ban stuff. I don't, like, need, I don't need to hate tweets. I would I would ban it. But anyway. Uh, but at some point, right, like you've got to think, I mean, management provide guidance because someone asks and they feel like they should provide it. And that's the way the market kind of works is, you know, I want to say experts don't forecast because they know, but because they're asked. Um, I think it's the same with management guidance, right? I wish they'd all just say, we'll just tell you when we get there. You know, I'm doing two things. I'm going to go short shorts. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I, I don't short. I but don't, I don't want to see you in short shorts. No, no, but, but, but I don't want to, I don't short, but I'm short shorts. Right, which means you're long. Which means I'm long, but I'm long. I'm short the shorts. You know what I mean? I do. And um, I do. and I'm also going to be short guidance, especially in the retail sector. I mean, oh, in man. retail, you do not do guidance. But do you reckon anyone knows? Like, I mean, even the biggest companies in the world, the Googles, the Apples, the Amazons, like, I just don't know why you would bother. You well, can't physically yeah, yeah. know what's going to happen, and so all you do is you kind of you're lucky, or you say to some poor bastard, "Hey, you've got to go and do something to get the sales number that I promised six months ago because I promised it." Yeah. It, it it literally makes this whole short-termism thing worse. Yeah. Like, I think some, like, enterprise software companies, for example, they could give very, like, you know, they can give sandbag guidance quite easily. Oh, you because, can sandbag anything, yeah. Yeah, true. like, I mean, I mean, in the sense that, not, you know, you you know that, you know, this is the trend and you know that right. how many customers you've got and you know that they're going to be sticking around until, like, next year. You can give guidance. It, it's, yeah. I think, much easier to give guidance for enterprise SaaS companies. Mm. But it's really yeah, like, they're kind I mean, of toll roads in that kind of it's, way. It's it's kind of like a toll road, yeah. right? So the toll road companies, enterprise SaaS companies, even companies like you know that um, take a cut of like you know payments companies that take a cut right, and things like right, that. Right. Those those guys, I think, are it's, even actually even the payments companies, right? They're actually you know subject to uh-huh. economic uncertainties, right, right? right? So people spend less, they have less money going through. Um, but yeah, like you know, I, I think there's, there's no value. Like even if you could forecast why would you bother like what, what's the what's the upside you know there's a lot of you know there's a lot of value right you you're, you're making you're construing value to be a very small term here so you think about the value a company gives value uh, gives guidance shareholders don't like it uh then they can go to the courts so, so many people <laughs> there's so many jobs being created out here like Dude, this just is, be careful here because what i'm what our listeners are hearing is doc saying i really think there should be more lawyers we should pay more money to lawyers no, no, no. <laughs> all i'm saying is this is all helping our unemployment numbers <laughs> 
Keeping right. lawyers in a job. But, you know, like, just, you know, the courts just don't run on lawyers, right? There are people who are, you know, in the court. There are people who are going to be taking notes in the court. There's like the, you know, there's the cleaning company that's going to clean the court. I mean, this is a huge deal. We have a legal system-led recovery. This is like awesome. Like, I mean, this is how you create jobs, right? Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm totally fine with this. And I think, you know, court, the court in this case is taking a very nuanced view, which, which I love. <laughs> like, you know, so this is, this is awesome. I, Mate, I, I'm, I'm, I'm totally in support of this. I'm glad you're in a good mood because I've got some wonderful news that will make you even happier about your favorite topic. Oh, let's do that. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Break out the champagne. The popping noise you can hear in the background. Pop. See, that was in the back. We don't have a lot of sound effects here. That was the champagne corks popping, mate. Property is back. Capital city property prices up the most in the last two years in the most recent quarter. Everything's over. Cancel the recession. Cancel the property bust. We are off to the races. Property's okay. We can all pile back in. Welcome back, Dr. Team Optimism. This is great. Oh, I love the word you used. Let's pile back in. This is like, you know, so property is our version of the, what we call, what I call the Momo stocks. You know what, you know, momentum driven stocks. Like property is like complete momentum. <laughs> like, okay, everybody's buying. Okay, I'm missing out. Let me buy too. Oh, everybody's buying. I'm missing out too. I should buy too, right? Okay, when you got on the, you got on the property's down bandwagon, you got to, you got to oh, say, I'm still holding, I'm still holding on to that. I, I'm, <laughs> I still believe mm. in due course the properties will the property has to correct. There's just no way there's this is gonna continue. Um Okay, but you're not silly enough to actually do what most forecasts are doing actually put a time frame on that, are you? No. <laughs> I, I never I know <laughs> for for most forecasts I don't put a time frame. <laughs> I've I've told you before, man, I have I have three forecasts every year for the market. Mm. The market will either be up, down or go nowhere. And I'll be right by the end of the year. No, I have a, for, I have a simple forecast for <laughs> property. It is gonna be down thirty percent from the peak sometime. <laughs> Two thousand and well, you know, like you know, like in, in 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 stocks, we say that was a dead cat bounce. Yes. So in in property, even dead cats bounce if they even, fall hard enough. Is exactly. The, is a long phrase. Yes. It's a long phrase. So, so I think this is what, it's one a bit of those. Of moment, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, this is that version of the okay. The, the that cat is is bouncing. So this is the short term rally before the correction. Uh, I I don't put time time frames, <laughs> but it it is definitely. So how how do we know if you're ever going to be wrong? Then let's let's put you on the spot for a second. Yeah. Eventually, it's a very very long time. Yeah. It could be when we're both dead. Is is that how far are you going? No, in, 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 in my it. lifetime, for yeah. sure. I'm definitely. Like sure. you're a young man. This could that could be fifty five years. I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. There'll be a property crash by twenty twenty. Was it twenty seventy one? Something. I like you know something. <laughs> but whatever. Like I mean, this is an untenable situation where the property goes up. Now the amount of deposit required to buy stuff goes up. People don't that's have. The, that's you know, the that's, real there's problem. a lot of problems. There's yeah. a lot of problems that high property prices bring. I mean, high property prices actually do nobody a, a favor other. Than to um, uh, continue, um, I guess, building a, a, a what I call it, a debt burden, which ultimately somebody has to bear, right? Um, yeah, I think that's that's what high. I mean, there's no advantage to high property price. In Mate, fact, you are the Grinch that stole the property Christmas. Is all no, I'm no, 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 no. I'm, <laughs> I'm basically saying that in a civil society, property is basically a place where people live, mm. and if that is affordable, you have more money for doing everything else. Yep. That is. As a that, policy that is, question, that's—I mean—the financialization the, of property is really the big it, policy it is, question for it's, government. It's—it's it's like I mean, yeah. the holy grail is that you have less money now in your pocket because everything is going into that 
black box. Right, right. Uh, and, and that to me is basically taking away from all sorts of, you know, whether it's consumer driven, uh, you mm -hmm. know, um, enjoyment to, you know, yeah, consumer, uh, spending, investment. consumer spending investments right, and everything right. else. Right. So it's, it's basically a black hole. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's and a you black tell me hole. You're not the cringe. Come on, you're talking called property a black hole. You're the it's cringe. it's definitely a black hole. I mean, there is no reason to believe that property <laughs> as an asset class should be an asset class which should. It's not even a productive asset class. Maybe it we does have not a property produce, expert on here to different balance. Well, I am the property expert. It is. It is not a productive <laughs> asset class. It produces nothing of value, right? It should not. It, I mean, mm. it's a place. I mean, it's basically a depreciating asset right, class, right. right? Everything in that, you know, the, your wood should, uh, you know, mm. over time, the termite should be eating up the wood. <laughs> um, yeah. We're like, in a very dark place right now, man. I'm feeling very depressed. I'm down. I'm, I'm... Which, this, I'm, I'm painting the, the beautiful Australia <laughs> where everyone can afford a house. Everyone. So everybody's got a roof. Like, think about, think. And how, all the rest of us how, have to do is like a 50% haircut on our property prices. Well, I mean, who told you to pay too much? I mean, that's your problem. But, <laughs> but but you think about it this way, like everybody has a house, mm. then everybody has lots of money in their pocket mm. to do whatever they feel like, you know, mm -hmm. go on holidays, buy a house, buy a house, you know, uh, not buy a house, <laughs> don't buy a house. You've got one Sorry, house. Mate. All you need is one house. You don't need, okay, you don't need 15 houses. I mean, what do you do? The house doesn't lay eggs, mm. right? So, you know, if you're doing well, yes, that's right. <laughs> so what you want to do is, if it does get off the gear. Probably, you want, so. you want one house. Mm-hmm. You want it to be cheap, very mm. cheap, so that you have money in your pocket for doing other stuff. Mm -hmm. That is the holy grail. I am recommending that the government looks at this as a policy question. Do you have officially stolen the high horse and ridden it way off into the sunset? Well done. I, I, this was not a horse. I, if I was riding a horse, this would be a long one. <laughs> well, a long ride. I'm going to stop. The thousand thousand meter at Randwick. It's uh, it's almost summertime, past the spring carnival. But you've done a lovely thousand meter dash on the high horse, mate. Well done. Okay. I want to get onto some of my favorite ever correspondence we've received here at Motley Fool Money. Stay tuned. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Time to dip into the Fool Mailbag, mate, in a really, really, really cool way. I teased this a bit earlier and I'm just, you know, like we're not, we're not, we're not brain surgeons, right? Your good wife is is in the medical profession. My good wife is in the teaching profession. You I am I, not a surgeon. You and I just kind of make money for people, right? Like that's you know it's not a, it's, it's not a bad living and it's not a bad thing to do. And we're hopefully helping our listeners become better educated and take care of their financial futures. That's got some value. But we're not saving lives, are we? Uh, no, I, I mean I'm making up stuff on this podcast <laughs> right now. So <laughs> after that please, property thing, please, mate, please uh, take <laughs> everything with a lot of salt, not but, even a grain of salt, a lot of salt. But we do what we can, and we try and we try and add value. And look, this is this this podcast is all about for you know if you're paying for this podcast, you're getting ripped off because everyone else is getting it free. Uh, this is a free podcast to hopefully help our listeners just get a bit more financially savvy, take a bit more control of their finances, live better lives. And frankly, we hope that for everybody in Australia, right? So this is this is why we do it. And outside Australia, we've got some listeners from around the world, which is kind of cool. I have a suggestion for you know every every list, list. You know, maybe this would be really. You're getting cool. back on the high horse here. No, no, no. Okay. This, but this is a very cool suggestion, you know, because you said it's a free podcast, <laughs> yes, right? Yes, it is. So every time, yes, in Australia, somebody utters the word property, <laughs> just you know, which is like in a lot of barbecues yes. and parties yes. and you know yes. things like that. What do we have and, to know, do? Just casual. Just give us one second. <laughs> Just one cent to the Motley Fool Triple M Money uh -huh. podcast. Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast. We'll, we'll send you our bank details. Send us a cent every time you hear the word just, property. Just one cent. Won't cost you much, will it? Anyway. I think we'll make a fortune. We may bankrupt our listeners. 
<laughs> Mate, so, but look, let me get back to my point because we get some, we, you know, as it, we, we, we thrive on the feedback of our listeners. This is, you know, our mailbag is our favourite segment, as we've said before. We got some really, really, really cool, two, bi- two in particular bits of mail this week. And the first one came from, well, I'll, I'll if you send me some mail this week, particularly if you're not as old as Doc and I, stay tuned because this might be you. Here came the first one, mate. It says, hi, Scott and Doc. Just wanted to say thanks for all the money hacks. I've saved a packet by calling the bank and getting a better rate. And I've started putting that into shares through Comsec Pocket. Another handy tip. How cool is that? So that if they spent money on the mortgage, helped them invest, loving it, right? Gets better. I love listening to the podcast. It's fantastic for a beginner like me to learn about investing. So cool. Here's the very, very favorite part of this. This made my week last week. He then says, and my son, age 10, listens to and is getting a great financial education. Love your work, guys. Thank you so much. From Jeff and 10-year-old Fletcher. How cool is that? That is awesome. Isn't that cool? That is brilliant. So, Fletcher, g'day, mate. Thank you so much for listening. We, we love that everyone listens to this podcast. If we are helping you get a little bit of financial education, helping you kind of sort the, sort the good stuff from the bad stuff, setting you up for hopefully a, a very sustainable and successful life in investing, then we are stoked. And, Fletcher, you have the best, the very, very best thing. I can't have it. Doc can't have it. No one else can have it. You're 10. You have got literally seven, eight, nine decades ahead of you to invest. And if you keep up your listening, keep up your saving, start investing, you will just be miles and miles and miles ahead of your friends. So, mate, good on you. Well done for listening. Thank you for listening. And thanks, Jeff, for letting us know that you and Fletcher listen because we're just super, super excited about it. That is awesome. Yeah, I have nothing to add to that. I mean, you know, Fletcher, you just, you, you're just going to be so much ahead. Um, yeah, I'm going to be a bit jealous about that. Oh, my 10. Yeah. Imagine being 10 again. I would like to be ten, oh, yeah. but but you know, <laughs> would love to be ten. Kudos to uh, you know Fletcher, and you know, like I mean, this is this is brilliant. I mean, this is such a good thing to do. Yeah, it's awesome. Now that was that made my week last week. I got that last Saturday morning, I think I want to say maybe it was Friday afternoon, and then my so then then this week, it gets better, right? So not only not only was were Jeff and Fletcher listening last week and, and flicked us a note, and again, thank you Jeff for doing that. We got another Twitter message this week. That was on Instagram, by the way. We're on the socials. I'll give you those details in a minute. We got another one this week it's from Hales on Twitter. And Hales says, Hey, Scott and Doc, just listening to your Money Hacks podcast this evening with the fam. My son was wondering about what advice you have for eight-year-olds who are looking to add to their portfolios. He says he used his own money to buy BHP in January this year. What to buy next? Now, Hales, I, I follow up with Hales, and Hales' son's name is Miles. So, Miles, g'day to you. Uh, maybe you and Fletcher should start an investment club, I think, from the sound of it. I'll put us out of a job, mate. Maybe they shouldn't do that. Don't do that. Don't, don't. It sounds very risky. It sounds very, very risky. But don't do that, please. Do. Go, go to other things with your lives. But we, we need this job. Uh, but, Miles, thank you, mate, for also listening. He also sent a wonderful photo of Miles holding up his BHP share statement, which is just really, really cool. Um, well done, Miles. Really, really impressed, dude. Good job for listening. Um, he also says that, so Hales tells me that his favorite, well, this is, so this is a little uncomfortable. <laughs> Hales says, um, he says he'll be so pumped. He listens to every podcast, which is lovely. His name is Miles. While he knows what delayed gratification is, it seems his favorite line is, and it's one of our promo lines, mate, that the, the good people here at Triple M have added to our podcast. And Miles and Fletcher block you ears for a second. His favourite line is, not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. I love that. <laughs> and and so I felt a bit guilty about that. So from now on, I'm Richard Phillips and you're Richard Mahanti. Mm-hmm. Dick, dick. Um, 
<laughs> I feel obligated to change my name. I, I'm, I'm sorry, Miles. You know, adult stuff, adults say that stuff. Don't say it at school. You'll get yourself in trouble and, you know, that'll be in trouble and I'll be in trouble and no one wants that. So I'm now officially Richard Phillips and he's Richard Mahanty. Um, it's not like the two Ronnies. That's a whole different story. That's also, that's also, you know, Miles, not... the two Ronnies is way, way, way too old for you. Mate, they were old when I was a kid. The two Ronnies are well and truly past their prime. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're, we're both Richards, which is good, I think. Uh, Miles, really cool, but well done for buying BHP. He bought it with his own money. He's saving up more money to buy his next stock. How cool is that? That is brilliant. That, is just, that is just so awesome. Like, I mean, yeah, talk about <laughs> getting, cool? talk about starting early and getting ahead. Like, I oh, mean, this, is like, this is just amazing. So cool. Anyway, so then I, just to, just to flesh out a bit, I, I then hit my house up as a direct message. Um, so he said, uh, he said, I only started buying a few stocks last December at 40. This is Hales, not Miles, obviously. He started listening and just took a liking to it. So I figure we get some credit for that. We should. Miles, I was really impressed, dude, but what are you doing listening to us? Isn't there something else you can listen to? Oh, he's... A bit of Pharrell Williams or um, Taylor Swift. What are kids listening oh, to these days? We're, we're the best. <laughs> That's what I know. I don't even know what kids listen to these days. I have no idea. No. Uh, but mate, good on you for listening. He says that he saved his birthday, Christmas, and pocket money to buy 500 bucks worth of BHP, plus commission, of course. He has a watch list and always wants to know how he can earn another 500 bucks so he can diversify. He opens the weekend paper to see what recommendations are in it, and when I check out your site each morning, he's always looking over my shoulder. He even checked out the Pocket app, but we discussed the fees. I'm so proud, because I'm far from money smart. My 10-year daughter is late to the party. Um, she spends her money, but she has elected VAS as her first buy, which is the Vanguard Australian Shares ETF, and she should have enough by Christmas. Thanks for your content. Safe to say it might have a massive impact on my kids' futures. Mate, I, you know, I, I, it's not about us. Um, but I couldn't be more. I, I honestly couldn't be more stoked if we are helping kids and other and older people, frankly, get started investing. Like that's why we're here, right? That's exactly what we're here for. So, um, thank you for listening, all of you who are listening, even those who aren't necessarily uh, connect, contacting us. Feel free to, by the way. But um, Miles and Fletcher, guys, thank you very, very much for listening. And more importantly, good on you for jumping in and getting involved in investing. You will be, you'll be just really, 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 you'll benefit massively from it. So, well done. Really impressed, and uh, and congratulations. Now, mate. I can't leave it at that, though, because Miles had a question. What is the question? Well, to repeat Hales' question, he says he used his own money to buy BHP in January this year, but Miles wants to know what to buy next. Now, we can't give personal advice to Miles just to keep the regulators happy, but we can talk about stocks that might be suitable for someone like Miles. If he's going to buy something in the ASX with another 500 bucks, what should he buy next, mate? Um, lots of possibilities. I yes, mean, there are. Um, I mean, I mean, again, if you keep adding, then and if you take your, you know, you you could, depends on again, uh, it it becomes hard because you know, first stock is BHP. Mm-hmm. I would never actually tell people anyone to buy BHP as as the first stock, but I get and you it. have miles, and that's great. Uh, but you've bought BHP, which is, which, I mean, it's better than not buying anything. And BHP pays a, is a nice. Um, uh, handy uh, different. I mean, big you know, blue chip. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe for a child, uh, you know, uh, it, uh, it's sort of a blue chip focus and buying things that mm. you know, um, I guess they can see around or hear around is actually a good thing. Yeah. So, um, you know, like uh, I'd say something like the Macquarie Group, for example, is is really good, um, mm-hmm. a good company to buy. It, it pays a nice little dividend, not not little, but pays a nice enough. It's it's a it's a globally recognized. Yep. Australian brand, you you'd see, you'd hear it on TV, you'd you'd read about it in the paper. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's a that's a good one. I mean, 
Um, you could buy maybe ETFs. That's this other, other options. Miles' sister was looking at that apparently. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, you can buy the NASDAQ uh, 100 ETF, for example. That's a nice one to buy. Uh, gives you exposure to all the companies we sort of talked about yeah, before. Hit some of those, Matt. So for Miles, who's, who's, who's looking at the market now and he's thinking about some of the companies he's buying, a NASDAQ ETF. NASDAQ is the U.S. tech index for shorthand. What sort of companies would Miles be getting part of if he was to buy a Nasdaq ETF? Yeah, like if he's buying Nasdaq, he's, he's you know he's getting a, a piece of Apple, a piece of you know things like a Google um, or Alphabet as it's now known, a Microsoft, Amazon, Netflix, um, Facebook, Netflix, Facebook, even a bit of Tesla. You know, like you see, you you know you get that type of that type of exposure. Kind of cool. In in a basket sort of format, which is which is really cool. I should disclose I own some shares of that. Um, so, so yeah, I think that, that that's a cool option actually as a long-term sort of compounding, mm -hmm. uh, option, you know, you don't get much dividend, but I think it'll compound nicely over the, over the long term and have, mm -hmm. have the benefit of being an ETF. Um, uh, what, what else? I mean, I'm not, I'm not suggesting any, any from my, uh, service extreme opportunities largely because I think the volatility might not be, mm -hmm. um, too mm -hmm. suitable at, um, for someone you know who's just starting to you know it's it's better to actually have um better to buy things that you can sort of you know think about and feel about and yeah. understand and yep. and not buy things that are you know um might be racy but you know have big futures mm -hmm. but also can mm -hmm. blow up right so, so 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 i think those would be um good ones to buy um yeah like i think i think those would be in my opinion good ones you know something something like um um, what else? I mean, yeah, I was going. To, I was going to say maybe treasury too, but I, I mean, I'd, I'd say um, um, wine cellar. <laughs> I don't know how I'd feel about t telling eight and ten year olds to buy something uh, <laughs> that sells wines, um, uh, but maybe that that's fine too. Um, yeah, so those are sort of some of the ideas I can I can think of off the top of my head. ETFs, I think, are a good good option. Nice. I, I think. Look, I'll I'll take some of what you're talking about there. I'm going to extend it a bit further, Miles. I reckon, dude, it kind of depends on what you want to buy, right? Like, I think as long as you know that there's a volatile, you know, BHP, your 500 bucks worth of BHP could be worth $400 or $600 by the end of the year, and you need to know that's going to happen, right? Volatility is exactly what happens. That's just price movements up and down. So share prices move for whole lots of reasons. Often they're unrelated to the actual businesses themselves. So if the market starts to dislike BHP just because it does, the shares will fall, and you might feel kind of a bit you know, unhappy about that because all of a sudden you've lost this money and that can feel really, really bad. You also make a hundred bucks or so and you think, well, gee, I've done well. And I've, I'm, I'm really happy with that. That can happen for reasons that aren't anything to do with the quality of the company or the way you pick the stocks just because the market is the market is the market. So that's Doc's point about being volatile and just feeling, you know, trying to think through how you're going to feel about things like that moving. I, I'm, I'm a fan, mate. If you, if you want to, I'm a big fan of kind of getting used to owning shares by owning businesses, owning shares in businesses that you use yourself. Uh, I know from personal experience, I've had family members who, having bought shares in Meyer or DJs or Woolworths or something else, kind of walk into those shops and kind of go, yeah, I own some of this. And it really changes the way you think about business and investing. And I think that in itself, particularly while you're getting started, is a really, really valuable experience to have. So I would actually say, I don't think there's necessarily the very best businesses or best investment opportunities in the world in pure terms. But I reckon if you're getting started, not because you're a kid, you're, you're more than capable, and you're very mature, obviously, so you're capable of thinking these things through. But there's just something really, really powerful about, you know what, if mum and dad have a Telstra account, 
buy some Telstra shares. Okay, then you you know every time they use the phone, you're making a little bit of money. Or if you if you're shopping Woolies or Coles, maybe buy some Woolies or Coles shares because hey, every time you go to Woolies, you can say, well, I own part of this. And when you shop there, you feel good about some of that money trickling back in a very very small way uh, back to your share price. Um, if you, given your age, mate, you might well be familiar with Smiggle, the stationery business. Uh, Premier Investments is the name of the company that owns that business. And again, same thing. If you if you or your mates or your friends or your sister are shopping in Smiggle, well, you make a little bit of money every time that happens. And that's that's kind of really really useful way to get used to. Because share ownership really isn't about the prices in the paper, though that's cool. That's not really about the stats or the codes or the charts or whatever. It's really about owning little pieces of businesses. And you know that, obviously, by now because you've been listening to us for a while. But if you can take that and use that for good, if you can start to you know, really internalize that and get used to that idea, then you're going to be better off than, frankly, most of the people in the market. So here's a little secret that you've got that most people don't. When they go, you know, professional investors and traders and all that kind of stuff, they're all jumping all over the idea of, um, you know, investing in stocks that might wiggle around and move around. They look at charts and they look at stats and they kind of try and be clever about these things. You and I know something that most people don't remember, which is, and Doc knows this, of course, as well, but which is these are parts of businesses. And if Woolworth sells more groceries, if Coles sells more groceries, if Telstra sells more phones or has more phone, you know, uh, phone uh, accounts, um, if Smiggle sells more stationery, then the company makes more money, at least in theory, and the shareholders get richer. So that, that, is the, that is the core of owning shares, and that's exactly what I reckon you should do. So, yep, by all means, grab, grab some treasury to Doc's point. Grab some NASDAQ. Same thing, right? If you use Facebook or you probably don't, hopefully, but maybe mum and dad do. Um, if you maybe see Netflix, maybe mum and dad got a Netflix account. Um, maybe they you see a Tesla driving past. Maybe you've got an iPad. They, well, maybe you've got an iPad. Uh, maybe you're buying stuff from Amazon. Um, all that stuff, right? It, you know that again. You, if you if you use the iPad, um, you, you maybe buy some Apple Music or you you buy something on Amazon or you watch a Netflix show. Again, part of that money goes back to you. And there's nothing more powerful than realizing you own a piece of that business. So that's what I would go with. Find something you, you like as a consumer or your family uses as consumers and maybe put your money into that. Again, build that over time so you'll add some more to something else next time. But I would start with that sort of stuff and get used to being owner of a business. Talk any more than that? No, I think you've covered everything. Mate, I've got a, well, I've got two announcements or a second announcement anyway. The good news is we are going close to time. Huh, that's always the good news. Well, <laughs> is that, t- t- for our listeners, t- t- if they want to get rid of us. T- t- tell me the flip side. Well, the flip side is the good news, mate. Okay, what's the good news? I'm officially declaring a bonus mailbag episode this Sunday. Because we've got a lot of mail, a lot of people who asked us questions, and we want to get to it. We're not going to get to it in this particular episode. Well, we might have a bonus episode. What do you reckon? You going to hang around? Yeah. Beautiful. There you go. So if you if you like our bonus mailbag episodes, hopefully you do. The feedback's been really good, by the way, and I'm not just saying that. Um, no one said don't do them, so <laughs> we figure that's a good thing. By the way, they might start now because they've said, well, hang on. Maybe they think if they tell us they don't want it, we won't do it. But uh, lots of people said, look, we love the ep- extra episodes. We love the mailbag. Um, thanks for doing it. Uh, so I, I'm going to I'm gonna assume that's legitimate. I'm going to assume that's fair. And we're going to do a mailbag because we've got so much mail here in front of me, mate. There's lots and lots and lots of stuff going on. Before we do, I've got one more question, though. Let's finish that one off. And then we'll call it a day and reconvene for the mailbag. So here's the last question I've got for you. From the mailbag, from Chris on Facebook. I'll go through the socials in a second, so grab a pen. Uh, but I'll ask Chris's question first. He says, some companies offer dividend reinvestment plans in the form of stock, not cash. In these rare cases, dividends are fully able to compound over time without the taxman's influence. Would it stand to reason that for long-term investors, this would be a better strategy than investing in cash dividend stocks? Similarly, in the long term, would stocks paying zero dividend also have the same compounding effect of zero taxation so a really cool question two separate questions then we'll ask them separately so firstly mate 
some companies, so, you know, if you if you invest, I don't know, particularly I'll, I'll use Woolies because I know they have one or we had one. Um, rather than getting my, you know, $50 Woolies dividend check, I don't own shares for the record, but if I did, they would say, rather than your $50 dividend check, here's two shares. And they give you, you, know, you basically get more shares rather than cash in the bank. And Chris is saying, wouldn't that be better because there's no tax than if I got cash dividends, had to pay tax on that. So uh, I'm not sure. I'm, okay, so I might be a little caught off guard here. Um, isn't it the case that basically this is the basically dividend reinvestment plan, right? So, the, you know, effectively that is tax as far as I understand, because <laughs> um, effectively what the company is saying, well, you know, I was going to pay you like $1. Mm-hmm. So paying you $1, I'm going to give you some shares. Well, I mean, it's your choice. You're making the choice in that case that, you know, it's it's not like a stock split or something, right? It's Correct. not that they split the stocks and they gave you more stocks, which is effectively basically your ownership did not change mm-hmm. in any form. Um, here you decided, elected to take that cash and instead basically what, th- this is from a company point of view better in the sense that, well, it's better and it has both sides. It's better because they have to shell out less cash mm-hmm. because they're basically printing the shares, which means, <laughs> right. so they're printing the shares. This is like quantitative easing. In, uh, <laughs> this is a quant- you know, the, the finance market, like like you know, that. all all the, the Fed shares understood uh, or learned fin- uh, quantitative <laughs> easing from the finance market, you know, from the stock market, basically, right. because they print shares all right. the time. So, yeah, so Woolies basically decided that instead of giving out cash, which, you know, maybe I don't have enough of, mm-hmm. I can just, you know, print some shares. Right. <laughs> and then pretend that you know that's your dividend right well you know the tax man is going to say no 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 no. you still pay me tax yeah. on that uh but yeah it does help with it does help with compounding because you know if you got the cash and you didn't buy shares i mean mm-hmm. then that's just cash right so let's just stop for half a second i just want to double underline that point before we move on to the compounding bit so chris to be really really clear and for everyone who's listening if you get shares rather than cash you are still up for exactly the same tax bill as if you'd received the cash, right? The tax man effectively says you got X dollars worth of shares. He treats it as if you'd got the cash and bought the shares. And so you still have exactly the same tax bill, regardless whether you get the dividend in cash or shares. Right. Yeah. Go to the compounding bit, mate. Yeah. And then I, th- I think then, you know, you, from a tax man point of view, you got cash. That cash was basically used to buy shares. Mm-hmm. Now, the advantage here is that, you know, you didn't take the cash and, you know, buy coffee out of it. Instead, you, just, <laughs> you didn't consume it. So that's instead, a win. You know, so, so that, that's the first win. So you basically became a saving. That saving basically became the share. And then over <laughs> the long, long, long haul, hopefully mm-hmm. the share basically compounds like your other holdings. So that's where the compounding bit is coming from. Right. Basically, by turning it into shares, you're basically allowing it to run. Uh, and then on that on that basis, you basically are getting you know your your compound you're getting your compound gain, and you're going to have you know if you have capital gains tax benefits and things like that. That that's where you're going to get yeah. that bit from. Yeah. So uh, I mean, and yeah, I mean it's it's a nice nifty thing to do. Um, it's it's also a nice nifty thing to do if you believe in doing like you know dollar cost averaging, right? So you want to do dollar cost averaging, then this is a nice nifty way of all the dividend comes in, you get more shares, you yeah. like the company anyways. I mean, technically, if you did not like the company, you would not own the shares, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you own the shares, you might you could own some more. Um, and if you're doing that for a lot of, lot of companies, then effectively, you know, you're just basically. Uh, you're just putting your cash that comes in into your, you know, brokerage from your bro- uh, in your new brokerage account into uh, into shares. Basically, right, you're right. automatically buying shares. It's, right. it's a nice. I, I, I as a as a as a toolkit. I think it's nice and nifty. Mm-hmm. I will just say, I you know without giving any you know I you know again everybody has to decide what's good for them. I actually don't do it. Yeah. Um, largely because I feel that you know I get the cash and I decide what I want to do is I, I mean any cash that comes to my brokerage account I actually don't take it out I invest it, mm-hmm. but. I invested in a different company. 
almost always. Um, uh, but so you get your Apple dividend, for example, but you think Tesla's a better buy again, for argument's sake, rather than being forced to arbitrarily buy shares in Apple again or Amazon again or whatever, and it doesn't matter what company it was. Yeah, yeah. You kind of go, I'll take that money and I'll say, well, I've got, I've got my thousand bucks worth of dividends over the last 12 months on all of my companies. But the $1,000 is best going into Tesla, just again for the argument um, today. And so rather than having little bits of extra Apple, a little bit of extra Amazon, a little bit of extra whatever else you own, you're saying, no, I want to take this all this cash in total and invest it in my best idea or ideas. Yeah, it's, sometimes it's investing, you know, it's it's a question of even if my like best idea happened to be, let's say, Amazon, and mm. I owned uh, Amazon shares, it could just be sometimes that I don't want that position. So it may be a big position. Right, I didn't right, want to right. increase that position. So I like to have that control. Mm. But, but you know, some people, I think, you know, who you know who don't have lopsided pro- portfolios in one particular position mm. or other, which is too big. You know, for that, like, I, I know lots of people who actually love, and, I, you know, and this is really a popular technique, mm. um, you know, uh, dividend re-ins- in reinvestment plans or drip. Um, I, I think it's good. Again, you know, everybody needs to decide what way. I don't do it, but I think I, I know a lot of people who do it. Yeah, so. I think I think your point about a tool in a toolkit, I think, is a really great way to describe it, Doc, because, you know, dividend reinvestment, it depends on what you want to do and how you manage your own finances, right? If you're someone who can't see the money, money in the account without spending it or without doing something else with it, go and put the money into a DRP. You know, literally, you know, take... It's it's a kind of a behavioral nudge, right? The idea is if if companies can do it for you, it saves you doing something else bad with the money. If you're that sort of person, or frankly, even if you're someone who kind of doesn't even get around to it, or you don't have a separate investment savings account, right? They're the reasons why you'd want to go and do it. Or if you just don't want to have the decision made, you don't have to make the decision. You're happy to just let it do its thing. As Doc says, just go and go and do it. On the flip side, I actually agree with Doc. Firstly, please everybody, 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 have a separate investment account that you're investing cash goes into and your dividends get paid into. Don't ever, ever, ever have your dividends paid in your savings account or your transaction account because you will use the money. I guarantee it. Um, again, you probably think you're the different person, but 90% of us think we're above average drivers too, right? So there's every chance that you will fall foul of the same problems that I have that Doc has that everyone else has, which is when the money's there, you can mentally say, oh, no, I've got to leave that 100 bucks aside because that was dividend cash. And then you've got to build a pay or something else happens or you just simply have a big night on the, on the tiles and you, you know, buy a couple more rounds than you should have, um, all of a sudden that money disappears. You go, oh, next time, next time I'll do it. So use DRP if you want it taken out of your own hands, but please, everybody, find a separate investment account. Frankly, I'm, I'm with Comsec. We have no relationship with Comsec. I find them just a really easy combination because they have a direct investment account linked to it when you open an account. That, that way, all my investing money goes from my paycheck. Some proportion of that goes into the investment account. My share purchases happen there. My dividends go back into there. And it just sequesters the entire cash. So I'm never tempted to use it. So DRPs are great. But if you don't use DRPs, please, for the love of God, have a separate investing account. Any more to add? I have nothing to add. Mate, Chris has a second part of his question. So he says, similarly, in the long term, would stocks paying a zero dividend also have the same compounding effect of zero taxation? Now, we've we've unfortunately, Chris, sorry, mate, put paid to the zero taxation question, at least for your DRP question. But, Doctor, some degree, a company that doesn't pay dividends. Now, on one hand, the, the investor doesn't have to pay tax on those dividends. So if I, in this case, there isn't a dividend to be paid, so corporate tax is still paid either way, but I'm not paying tax on the dividend. So effectively, I'm leaving that money with the company to compound for me. Now, the, the best case of this I have in, in my favorite company that I'm contractually obliged to mention at least once a podcast, Berkshire Hathaway, Buffett hasn't paid a dividend since 1965 for exactly this reason. Buffett says, look, I could pay you a dividend and you'd have to pay tax on that and then reinvest it somewhere else. And so... If I pay you 100 bucks of dividends, you're going to have 85 odd left or 80 left to reinvest somewhere else. How about you leave the 100 bucks with me? I've still paid my corporate tax, but I'm then going to invest that on your behalf. And I think I can compound that better for you without you having to pay extra dividend tax. 
I'll give you know, effectively use you let that capital gain ride, let that growth happen, and then take out the money down the track when it's compounded for many many years. So I think in this case, Chris's question is really quite valid, or at least a really good question to ask, which is, shouldn't companies keep the money? And use it to grow the company's value, effectively tax-free in the hands of the shareholder. They still pay corporate tax, as we say. Isn't that better than having dividends paid out and having to pay, depending on the franking level and your own tax rate, somewhere between nothing and 15 or 18% tax on that on that money? Yeah, I, I think that's, that's great. So you used your favorite company. I'll use my favorite company. <laughs> um, and I will that's say- That's what we do. That's what we do here. We just talk about our own favorite companies. Um <laughs> Let's say you, uh, you know, bought Apple shares on 2000, let's make it 2008. Oh, here somewhere. we go. Selective, selective data here. Yeah, I'm you just going to use, you I'm watch. using 2008 you because, watch. I'm, I'm using 2008 <laughs> largely because, um, you know, that's what, you know, 2007, the yep. iPhone came, right? Yep, yep, yep. So uh, let's, uh, you know, uh, let's yep. make this even. That I, I'm looking at some random date because that's what I could quickly find on, on Bing. <laughs> um, you know, I use Bing. I'll just make that clear. Dear, dear. I, don't, I don't use Google. Dear, dear. Um, yeah, I, lo- I, lo- I love my privacy. So, uh, anyways, that, that was, <laughs> see, I, I, I made two points here. Now. <laughs> so, on on that particular date, let's say you know, in end of February, uh, Apple shares were at eighteen dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's not paying a dividend at that time, I think. Right, and um, here's the magic. Right, the magic is that if you let a company do its thing, invest for growth, it grows, grows, grows. At some point, it becomes like an Apple. Well, not every company is going to become like, actually very few companies are going to be, be like, like Apple. But even mm-hmm. if it's a pale version of Apple, yep. a mature company at some stage is going to be able to generate a lot and lot of lot of cash, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, when it's generating a lot of cash at that point, even then it could do various things. It could buy back its shares and, you know, without, you know, so therefore basically you're not you're not paying any taxes unless you're mm. actually selling out. Mm. But but you, you fast forward to today and the shares are like $240, right? Mm. And if you're getting a 1.7% or 1.5% yield on that $240, mm-hmm. well, that's actually a huge yield on your initial capital investment mm. if you invested in like 2008, right? Mm. So in, in, in about like right, right, right. in 12 years, your yield on your capital investments actually could be very high for a company that's actually delivering growth, has gone through the growth phase, then mm-hmm. has become basically a mature blue chip behemoth, right? And, 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 the, and, and the, if I have to use an Australian example, I could say something like uh, the same story for, you know, people who bought shares uh, when Commonwealth Bank floated, mm-hmm. for example, right? Yep. I mean, if it floated for like $2 or something like that, if I remember correctly, um, you know, on that cash, you're getting huge amount of yields. I mean, and, mm. and today's yield is even is great, right? I mean, it's like 6% or something like that. You know, you, uh, that's a pretty hefty yield. But uh, yeah, so I like, to, I like to invest. Like if you don't need the income right now, mm. I like to invest for growth with the expectation that my growth company at some point in the future becomes a dividend-paying blue chip, mm, mm. solid blue chip, you know, blue chip aristocrat or blue chip, you know, growth, mm, whatever mm. you want to call it. Mm. And I'm going to be happy actually with that yield mm. that I get, even if it's like a 2% yield, that'll be probably be enough because I've got a lot of capital appreciation that's happened. So I can yeah. feel happy about the capital and a bit of both. It's, it's like, you know, it's, it's a nice, you know, um, yeah. yeah. Mate, I, I think that's exactly right. I'm going to just, just for the sake of kind of sharing um, the devil's advocate position, or at least both sides of the same coin, so we can educate our listeners. Uh, generally speaking, like in most investing, quality of the company you buy and the management team you back is really paramount, right? So there's a lot of people in the Australian market in particular, we're, we're a hyper-dividend market, right? Our, our yield here, the average is about 4.5%. In the US, I would say like 2, 2.1, is that kind of close to right? Yeah, like a, yeah, it's, it's probably like 2% in okay. the US. So 
you know, we're a hyper-dividend market. Now, those who like dividends, or frankly, who are a bit cynical, say, well, actually, if you give me the dividends, you can't go and waste the money. And there's frankly been a lot of a lot of examples of companies who have gone and wasted cash, right? If, you, if the company hoards the cash, instead of paying you the $10 million, in, or you're, you're part of that $10 million in dividends, for example, in one given year, they might say, oh, I've got $10 million bucks in the back pocket. It's kind of burning a hole in the pocket. I could go and buy this thing or, or, or start this operation or spend this money on marketing or make this acquisition. And those can be great. If you've got a great management team with super good capital allocation skills and really good business smarts, that's great. There is, as I said, the cynical group who would say, you know what, <laughs> I've, I've been around the market a little bit now. I don't trust you guys to exactly do the right thing. Now, Buffett, master capital allocator. Tim Cook has done a great job after Steve Jobs of creating value from Apple by reinvesting the cash that was available and still remains available to that company. So those, those companies and, and others are absolute standouts where you actually would say, you know what? If you, Mr. Buffett, Mr. Cook, Mr. whoever, think you can use this money, Bezos at Amazon, think you can use this money really, really well, and I'm going to trust you to deliver a good return on that capital, then absolutely you're dead right. It's the great thing to do. On the other hand, if you're like, hey, you're, you know, and BHP was targeted on this one, by the way, by Elliott Capital Management. I want to say last year, maybe the year before, where they basically came out and said, we don't trust you, BHP. We want you to buy back some shares. We want you to pay a special dividend. We want you to give us all this cash before you guys go and waste it. Now, um, I don't know if they said exactly that, and I probably should say allegedly in a couple of times there because, you know, I don't want to put words in their mouth or impugn the, the wonderful people at BHP. But at some level, they had a view to say that, you know, they didn't want BHP making more acquisitions. They wanted the money back from the business. And they would say, look, you know, we don't we don't want you making making deals. We want you to give us the cash that the business is throwing off. And they're, the, they're both sides of that same coin. So answer your question in a good business, Chris, if you've got a great company and they're going to use the capital well, you're absolutely right. You want them to keep it and go and compound that growth, a la Apple, a la Berkshire. If they are maybe not so high quality or simply you're not sure or the money is lazily sitting on the balance sheet. And frankly, both Berkshire and Apple can be accused meaningfully of having too much cash on the balance sheet and wasting that that opportunity to either buy shares back or pay a dividend. Um, if they can't use the money well, then you want that back in your pocket so you can go and find the next best investment to make. Any more, Doc? No, sir. We have a mailbag episode coming up. So stay tuned for more of mailbag goodness on Sunday, hopefully, if the good boffins at Triple M schedule the podcast the way I hope they will. Uh, in any case, I'm sure you'll see it. In the meantime, you can hit us up on the socials. Let's run through them. If you're on Facebook, hit us up, The Motley Fool Australia. Surprise, surprise, not very surprising. Or my page at Scott Phillips Money. Uh, again, it's, uh, there's another Scott Phillips on there, by the way, who's a share trader out of the US. And that's not my Scott Phillips. Scott Phillips Money is my Twitter handle, uh, my Facebook handle, sorry. Hit me up there. Uh, like my page, follow, send us a message. Send us a message on the Motley Fool account as well. If you're on the Twitters, hit us up at Anirban Mahanti is Doc. I'm at TMF Scott P. All the Motley Fools at the Motley Fool AU. And those last two are our Insta handles as well. Can you say Insta handles? Uh yeah, I'm asking the one person, aren't I? Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I was, I was going to do a complete, you know, like uh, a tangent here. And say, Let me finish, and then we'll go to your tangent. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, all right. That other Scott. Yes. Oh, we know. Let's not. Let's not. Is let's it, not impugn anybody. Let's it, not impugn anybody. No, 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 no. I'm just saying. Is it? Can it be you, Doctor Jackal, high kind of thing going on here? <laughs> Indulging in my day trading passion. Yeah, like you know, maybe at night you're like day trading, and a day like I mean, you're night you're day trading in the U.S. Maybe. Thankfully for uh, all of us, mate. There's a picture of him, and he's not me, and I'm not him. Uh, there are some famous Scott Phillipses out there. One's a drummer with a rock band. Okay, that's better. Another is. He produces adult movies in Brisbane, apparently. So that's not me either. Um, so Scott, use the, use the Twitter handle. So you're, you're, very quick, you're very quickly saying that's not you. Search Scott Phillips Money on Facebook uh, or on the Instas. 
The Motley Fool AU or TMF Scott P, the same as as our Twitter handles. Uh, the Motley Fool AU or TMF Scott P. Follow us, like us. We throw some stuff out there on Twitter regularly. We get a chance to interact with you, and we love your questions, comments, feedback, suggestions. What else? That's about it. Funny memes. Uh, yeah. Be kind. Yeah. I got flamed on Twitter this week for criticizing short sellers. I'm short shorts. I don't resolve them for my criticism, by the way, but it was a it was an ugly couple of days. <laughs> so if you want to see if you want to see somebody get piled on for having an unpopular view, feel free to have a look back through my Twitter account. You'll you'll see some of that. All right, mate. On to the mailbag episode. Let's do it. But in the meantime, that wraps us up. So until Sunday, don't forget you can subscribe to the Triple M Motley Full Money podcast through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. And if you like what we're doing, we hope you do because you made it this far. Leave us a review, leave us a rating, give us some stars. It helps us rise up the rankings a little bit, which makes us feel good ego-wise, but also helps other people find the podcast. And hey, who doesn't need a little bit more foolishness in their lives? Everyone needs it. Go to www.fool.com.au forward slash triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll see you Sunday with another dose of Foolish Insight. Fool on. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.